0: Go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support, and of course, your contributions. Love you. Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster and quicker. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs is how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. On this episode of Adam's Rampage, I go off, (laughs) imagine that, on the opiate epidemic, if you will, in quotations, I'll talk more about why I would put that in quotations and investigate that, and what you will hear on the beginning of this podcast is, uh, I actually was live and recording for about 15 minutes or so into the topics when I got a phone call, and I received a phone call from Patricia telling me, hey... No one can hear you. We're all watching live and can't hear you. So uh as you'll hear, I catch it, unmute it, and take two. Literally started from the top after I was fifteen minutes in and tried to recap. I think I recapped a a decent amount of what I covered in the first fifteen minutes um on the take two, but don't worry, you're not gonna hear, it's not gonna sit there silent for fifteen minutes. But um, you know, I open about the opiate epidemic, which you know is a sensitive topic for myself, uh, for various reasons. But, you know, um, back when I was on Joe Rogan's podcast in 2015, you know, I took a lot of flack for what I was saying. And if you listen to that appearance on Joe's show, there was even a little bit of doubt from those in the room with me. And I find it funny that since July, 2015, uh, Rogan has had about, I don't know, five to six different guests on the show uh, that have all pretty much said the same thing I was saying that day. And uh, it's kind of funny to listen to all of a sudden people in wow when it's a doctor somebody saying it. But when I was saying in 2015, well, I was looked at as being a joke. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I am happy that after just two short years of talking about that uh, and mind you, people like Dr. Stanton Peel have been in this battle for a very long time. And we, t- I talk about Stanton a few times, but been on the podcast recently. And so I am glad to see that the message is getting out there, that people are finally waking up to this reactive approach to treatment with addiction. But even when I was on Rogan, I talked about all of it, mental health treatment, the DSM, certain issues with it. And, you know, on this podcast, I talk a lot about how, at first, it was we can crack the human genome and then take out the addiction, depression, anxiety gene, right? And Well, we can't do that. And then after it switched to that, now with brain, it must be brain-related, right? And if it's brain-related or biochemically related, then, well, the treatment is disease-based, right? Then we can use a pill for it. And I talk about a lot of those things, but you do start to see it coming out now. I mean, he just had a guy recently on the podcast. Uh, I want to say it was Chris something, one of his most recent podcasts nutrition type guy, uh, and he's covering, saying the same things, he's saying, you know, they make it a disease, so then they can create a pill for it, etc., and it's reactive in nature, and da-da-da, and all, you, you hear, wow, wow, and I said, man, we've been saying this shit, man, I was actually a practitioner in it, and well, we get into the opiate epidemic, after I cover the opiate issue and treatment related, uh, I get into... Well, let's just say I call it, I just need to find myself, many people say, and I talk about what that means and the social and environmental impacts of how we lose ourselves, in quotes. And I wrap up the podcast by talking about Einstein's theory of happiness. I hope you enjoy. Now that I'm unmuted, people, welcome. I was deep. (laughs) And thanks to a savior phone call, I'm actually live. Hello. I. Was deep into a talk. Wow. Wow, You didn't hear anything from the beginning. Well, man. I think we can take two. As I opened up casually with the podcast, (laughs) as I did, I was talking about some changes that I was excited about. Taking place in the format of TCR. This is cool. I'm like fucking taking it from the top, like automatic take two with a phone call. Pick right up with it. Man, I was... I'd say I was halfway deep into the opiate epidemic, if you will, but it was good. as like a test run. So I have some mental notes I clipped by. But I was just talking about, I was a little excited for next year that the format, the delivery, how this is done is going to change. It's going to see a different delivery. I don't know what. It's just, it's on the uh, table for an adjustment, if you will. Uh, that's usually when we make a logo adjustment, Steve and I too. Uh, but. I'm not sure what we got. A couple ideas uh, of how we're going to frame the the new approach, but I'm looking forward to whatever that magically becomes. But uh, for now, well, I, I the reason I'm it becomes difficult, right? I was talking about choices, right? That was the segue that led me into the first topic. But I was talking about you know the way we created a podcast. I'd been around, uh, yeah, that's what I was talking. about. I was around for like four or five years. I've been doing this. Uh, on some level. And overnight, it just seemed like everybody became a podcaster and it's all out there. And there's so much noise. I love the content being out there, but when there's so much content, you know, uh, a lot becomes noise. And uh, so it's about trying to find another way to to get out there. But I I walked through how many times, not the first two years of doing the podcast and writing the first uh, edition, the second edition of the book. But beyond that, when that was done, when you're doing something you're so passionate about, uh, day in and day out, that takes up a lot of mind space, a lot of time. Uh, I find it funny, maybe it's just me, how many bouts I've come into with wanting to walk away with saying just I'm done. You know, I, I've been using the phrase, I'm a, I'm outside of my own life more than I'm in my own. And, you know, what a shame for someone that reminds you to take care of you. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of laugh at that. But even through the bouts of "No, I just got to Stop for a while. I end up back, you know, behind the mic. Uh, there's a, a lot of love for it and, uh, I enjoy it, but whatever that change is, whatever the new approach is going to be, I don't know. We'll see. It's coming next, uh, next year. We'll probably have a good concept of the idea, but I'm talking new studio approach. Uh, everything may not even go live, may mix some things, do some editing. I don't know something, you know, with a lot of choices, we, uh, a lot of times don't choose anything or we end up choosing what we're told. Uh, You know, you can look up Malcolm Gladwell, the tipping points, a a good book. He gives a Ted talk and uses the spaghetti example, pretty cool historic story. But uh, when there's a lot of choices, it can be bad, but uh, not as bad as when you don't have enough choices When there's not enough choices. There can be a problem. And, The opiate epidemic, opioid, opiate, whatever you'd like to call it, epidemic, well, that labeling itself to me has an issue, Um, but for the most part, there's really limited choice in what someone does, right, that's affected by addiction. I I don't like to use the words that you are an addict or uh, defining yourself by anything such, but... We have to be careful when we vilify the pills themselves, right? Even myself who's talked about the pill approach, right? The constant pill approach and chemical incarceration. I'm not really meaning directly just the pill approach, right? But it's the treatment process as a whole, right? The chemical incarceration, uh, can lead to real incarceration on mo- on many levels it does, but when simply all we take is a biological approach, a physiological approach, uh, even a neuro- neurological approach when we 're limited to this, um, this is the chemical incarceration where you come in with a, a an addiction issue to some sort of chemical right, uh, it can also be other things right, but uh, you come in then the transfer of You know that street drug or chemical onto their chemical sure this is the means to treatment in america right the the magic pill syndrome a lot of times like the csi effect has issues with jurors and court cases right people think that oh here's a murder case why don't you just test that and pull this up and find it out and look it up real quick and it doesn't work that way and uh, i think people have that magic pill effect when it comes to mental health right um, so it does reference the idea of just the chemical trade, and except the treatment process itself really is where you become incarcerated and it's sprinkled with the chemical treatment process, the pill treatment. Now, I am not naive enough to say uh, that they don't work, right? There's stories out there for that. There's stories success stories out for NA, aA, et cetera. My argument here is not cutting those systems. And it's looking at a wider approach and looking for more of a defined idea of where this impact of addiction comes from. In the, you know, the first approach, when we were going to crack the human genome, this was going to be the answer to uh, all illnesses, right? Excuse me, I hate to swallow sound, so I try to back up this was going to be the end all right we would just simply remove the depression gene right and i mean even now medical uh, health mental health it's a pre-screening of your uh, your past your family history right this research that leads to all these things that does exactly right when we repeat behavior patterns right um so we have this focus of this physiological biological approach that it must be that and well, that's been disproven. Dr. Stanton Peel was just on the podcast, stated very clearly you know, that this has been, well, this is a lost science. The idea of trying to manipulate the genes to uh, rule out depression and pull out certain things um, is not where it's at. So you saw a shift in the Biological, the scientific approach, if you will, with this idea of addiction. Uh, and it's been leaning toward this disease idea, a disease that I disagree with and many others. You're starting to see that finally turn now. Um, this disease, it's an, it becomes an argument of semantics of whether the brain is diseased at the time of using. But we know the brain can heal itself, sure. But when we label it as a as a disease, it's looked at as more of a cancerous disease. If it's something you caught like a cold, I mean, we we may say I am depressed or we say I'm an addict, but we don't say that I am headache, right? We define ourselves. There's issues when we begin to label it this way. And look at a disease as saying, Hey, it's not your fault. And then the generalized approach toward that, uh, to trying to make that better is to declare yourself powerless, right? Uh, almost a resignation to who you are biologically. And sure. We look at this approach. It must be that mixed with the magic pill. It has to be the approach, right? And even myself, we point out to our chemical incarceration looking like we're vilifying the pills themselves, uh, but that becomes the issue. It's like a vague war. We create a war on terror, the war on pills, um, and people that need those pills, right, that are dealing with uh, diseases, you know, that are provable, that are, are you can uh, put on a blood test, urine test, brain scans, where right? You can prove these diseases may need these medications because they help. And when we attack the medications, people not only likely or uh, less likely to be able to get them, ease of access to them, at the cost of them, uh, but then people that do use them, that find themselves dealing or affected by addiction are less likely to come out and talk about it, right? It's vilified. So um, we have to be careful, myself included, about the idea of pills as being this enemy. Because shortly, if it's not the pill, then it must be the person. And I hear this a lot, man. And it's sad because they don't know any better, right? When a family experiences someone that's dealt with addiction... And they do what they're told, really, what they've seen on shows like Intervention, right? They get they help out for a little bit. They get enabled then they're tired of being enabled. They put their foot down. They call a family meeting. They tell them, hey, we all love you. We love you more than anything. But, hey, uh, we love you so much. We want you to get the fuck out of here for 30 days and 60 days. Just get out of here and go get better. We love you that much. And then the person still comes back and didn't get better. It must be the person. Uh, many times. And that's where the person gets lost, right? They are an addict, then they start to believe the same mantra that's been told to them as they try to get better. They believe they're fighting this disease, if you will. And then the pills become the bad thing, right? And then as you're coached through the pills, you're powerless against drugs and alcohol. But yet, through these same systems of treatment, you've been given other chemicals, other pills that are supposed to correct your theoretical disorder and adjust it. We fuck with the biology so much of the Individual, but we don't question what that individual is like at the end of all that fucking with. And we avoid. Science almost itself. Uh, those that focus on it must be a neurological issue that we can fix by a, a pill or an adjustment, or it must be um, some other thing that we can adhere to. We skip over the environmental impact, right? We focused on the genes. These led up to ideas like predispositions. These things are true, but they're not guarantees. We're we're learning more and more that the epigenetic effect is more influential than the genetic effect. And once we learn, we can quite manipulate the genes the way we once hoped to. Maybe, sure, in time, eventually, who knows? Right? You, you don't. I don't want to limit science, but for now. And that's why you saw a move to the brain. It's, it's got to be in the brain, and then we learn the gut is is connected to the brain. That all this is connected. But you know, when we form the idea of addiction and the bad idea of drugs, when we vilify drugs, we have an issue. And then the idea of uh, being addicted as being a chemical issue or something you're born with is predisposed to. Uh, it it enables and it 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 cuts the feed out from the individual. Now I'm not saying, like I said, to dis disregard any of the approaches that are out there that currently work right um it's about opening all of those avenues but again we dismiss the environmental impact if you really walk through the idea it, let's pick back up with the family that deal dealt with a family member with addiction right what do you what do you do when you're really there you may say it right now on a microphone and or these speakers or in the car or wherever you're listening to this and your headphones while you're on the treadmill whatever it is you're doing you say well yeah, you do this right sounds like that, right? But this is also not what you do. And this is the sad part. Like, let's go back to that family, right? They've had their son, brother, or whatever you want to call this person, in and out of rehab. They've given money. They've given jobs. The person keeps screwing up. The person has to be the issue. And we don't look at the environment, right? Because it becomes another excuse, right, for that person's choice, right? See, if it's not a disease, then it's their choice. You either use or you don't use. As if using is the issue when, let's face it, everyone's using on the most part, that sounds irrational, but we all use something to lift the endorphins at some level, dopamine in the body, right? I don't care what it is you do, whether it's biomechanical, whether it's chemical, uh, it doesn't, we do something right? I call it mood modulation, right? We've been modulating our mood since we were a kid. I mean, you ever seen the kid in the middle of the floor, right? He spins around or she spins around like crazy and falls down, gets back up and does it again, or uncle or throws him or or her up in the air. Do it again, right? Do it again. This is mood modulation, right? That the child is modulating their mood, their vision, their experience of their biological presence in the conscious world, right? It's a beautiful thing to watch them. And so we act like the idea of modulating our mood for some reason is some sort of bad demonized thing that we do. And that's where we had an issue first is looking at people as defining as addicts, right? Whatever that definition means to you. I know a lot of people filter that to, through through some uh, jug as we used to call them back in the day, right? Some crackhead right some person right that we vision it that some people do if that's your filter then you label yourself as that when you experience what that's like uh, these are all detrimental to the issue but yet then again <laughs> we have politicians including Obama on down that talk about mental health awareness when guns become the issue 175 people dying a day and now mind you uh, I, I'm not sure if this got in if I said it or anymore it's all running together but most of those deaths are a cross of drugs. It's a mix of chemicals, a mix of drugs. It's, it's really just the painkiller uh, that does happen, right? But, I mean, people overdose on Advil, Tylenol, right? These are issues too, right? But we're not, we're not having a Tylenol epidemic, right? Well, we probably are if you cracked open most people's real lives of what they're taking. But or be ibuprofen. These things are issues, right? So vilifying, it seems to then concrete... The answer for this then must be chemical, must be biological, it must be in the drug. The answer must be in the drug. So if it's something we can pick up on a brain scan, then it's something we can give you to adjust your brain mechanism, right? And this is assuming all things are equal, right? The brain images adjust all the time. What our brain is doing compared to normalcy—we're such an in inf- uh, infant stage about what these things really mean. Brains light up here, brains light up over here. Sure, there's tons of research out there. I get that on some concrete issues, but to heavily link it and focus on what this vague idea of addiction means is how we and we the way we define it and treatment process as being biological, then points it to then the continued approach, which is this chemical approach, this approach of a pill for the issue to make the adjustment. And what we're not looking at is the environmental impact onto the individual, onto the human species, what that environmental impact is that's causing that um the idea of self-medication comes self-medicating uh look this is another loose term that that's it's thrown around so much like addiction bipolar these disorders these names are thrown around ADHD we we jokingly talk about them and we we talk about addictive personalities right we we joke at these things and we look at it where we're demonizing the people, right? We, we make the trend, but we can't change the environment. See, I talk about self-medicated because this becomes a subjective notion. What do you medicate yourself with? Basically, how do you modulate your mood? If you're affecting your own chemicals to rise and lower, then we are mood modulating, whether that's substance-induced or behaviorally induced or even thought-induced. Thoughts can do the same thing. Uh, I got sidetracked when I was talking about brain scans, right? But um, Dr. Carl Hart's shown, and I've talked about it too, um, you, know, you can look at a brain scan, the blue one. You can probably Google it now, but if you look it up, you'll see this blue brain with some yellow, uh, focused on the center, then some more active. And they'll tell you, this is someone on meth. This is someone not on meth. And what they're not telling you is that is a normal distribution that if we were all in a room at one time or another, our brain may look like that. And then not when we leave that it changes, but that visual sticks with us. Right. And that mixes with the, it's a brain disorder or it's a brain disease. And then when we have these notions, it really, really enables and it discounts the power of the individual and it Completely it doesn't look at the environmental influence. I mean, if if the environment doesn't change, so we're back to the the guy that's been in and out of rehab. He's hurt everybody around him. He's lied, he's cheated, he's lost jobs, he's not cared, he's hurt people, he's been to jail. Families, you know, paid for a rehab or two, thinking they've done it all right, and people around them themselves have just cut it off. They make self judgments and cast about what they did, what they had. Oh, I had it too, but you just stop then, but we don't look at the environment. What's the social environment? What's the trauma that's been experienced? Now, trauma is a loose subject too for me because trauma can be subjective, right? And we know certain things can cause the brain to change, trauma uh, issues, right? These, These things happen, but you know, life's not fair. I know it's a terrible thing to hear, but if you do want to start facing and trying to get over what you call the trauma, that's a good place in my opinion to start is looking at what did I expect a normal life to be versus what I'm calling traumatic in life. I mean, hell, watch the Discovery Channel or some animal documentary for a while and you'll see it's not fair at all. Uh, And there isn't this should be or supposed to be. When we have this generalized norm it's like the ride at Disney, that terrible go-kart ride at Disney that you can drive in a circle, you pick the cool color, right? But it's got that rail in the middle. You can't go anywhere except cuckoo, cuckoo off the two rails, right? It's a shitty ride. Been there for, I don't know, 6,000 years, right? But that's where you're trapped in. It's just back and forth in that realm. So talking with Dr. Stanton Peel, being in the rehab centers myself, you know, looking at the approach, walking through it, it's hard not to say we don't talk about the environment, the change of the environment, because the majority or so are normal that aren't doing this. Then that must be bad when you take it this far. I mean, even the society itself is a, a, a a push of a social construct of a definition of what a life or yours should be of what a good person should be. Uh, A lot of that's linked to materialism marketing, right? So if we're looking at an environment, man, that, is selling you on what you should be what you 're supposed to be what you 're supposed to achieve it it pushes you that the value of yourself as an individual is based on your performance, not as the value as yourself as a person or as the presence in people 's lives. it distorts what our value system becomes acquisition becomes to become uh, ends up being highly ranked uh, on our value system and then when people do fall through the cracks when they don 't meet up to these Uh, Disney-like, if you will, railings of what a normal life is to be, uh, well, off the rails they go. Or subjectively told, then, uh, are dealing with addiction or a theoretical mental health disorder. So as we look at the pills and politicians that... You know that's what that's shit that gets me man from Obama down you know mental health became a fucking talking point like jobs you you could watch politicians say jobs out of one mouth just because of some i don't know some fucking word they just have to say mental health becomes the issues you see it you know when a tragedy like Las Vegas happens or the most recent church issue over here uh when these happen you hear the mental health talk right and but dr. Parker and all uh, not 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 too long, a couple of weeks ago, I did a whole podcast, uh, accidentally. Um, we did it on the same night as pulse and accidentally booked it and Vegas happened on the the night after. But we talked a lot about the irrational idea of what mental health means as just a talking point. You know, are you going to give everybody a subjective psych test and predict the future like the minority report movie, right? Let's be honest. Let's talk about rational ideas, right? Now what some idea of mental health subjectivity, right? People have moments in snap, right? But, um, I'm going on a tangent, but um, looking at the approach currently, when we vilify the ideas like pills as being the bad guy, we we miss and we skip over the impact of the environment. We skip over that issue. I mean, we're finding more and more now that, you know, the epigenetic effect is more effective, more influential than the genetic effect. And, we can change that environment. There's ways to do that, but we don't look at it. I I scrolled off around trauma when what is subjective, but when we're dealing with trauma and addiction and we ignore what that person's been through, the traumatic events that maybe have been stunted by the social impact, right? The constructs, the things I just talked about, when that person does not achieve whatever those definitions of supposed to are being, then one loses the value, right? I mean. And self-destruction becomes inevitable. The pills, if you will, the drugs themselves, if you will, even the depression, the anxiety, these are the symptoms. But yet in our reactionary, capitalistic-driven healthcare system, the answer must lie in the brain, in the genes, in the gut, in something that we can press a pill for, something that we can create centers to apply, places you got to go. So the person goes to 30, 40 rehabs. They blame the rehab, the family may, the doctor. Eventually the person is the villain. No one's really questioned the environment. What that person has been living in, the internal and the external environment. What's the self-talk like? What's the internal beliefs that that person holds dear? You know, this approach is multifaceted. And we need to start with a multifaceted approach. The opiate epidemic, uh, I think it's another talking point. It's another selling thing. You know, we're programmed to look out for bad things and things that are fearful, to register those. So when we watch the news or local, doesn't matter. You see the rotations of violence, fearful things. We're programmed to watch those things. See, the old guard has it locked down pretty heavy from the APP, the American Psychiatric Association, psychology, all of the, it's, the old guard is there, right? The old research is there. And these approaches, well, they make people money. You know, I talked about when I was on Rogan, and I point out now we talk about this opiate epidemic. There was a an issue of this too back when the documentary came out um, called the uh was it the Opiate Express, the OxyCotton Express, when all the pill mills were come were coming out? And it was a documentary about that, and it was pretty uh pretty accurate. And Florida was the hub of this, if you will. And well, over the years, what ended up happening is well, other states saw how much money Florida was making with the Florida addiction treatment, right? The Florida model approach to addiction treatment. And as each state began to adopt this approach. Exercise even more is the main approach across the uh, state, different states and countries. Well, what followed is what you have now is the opiate epidemic and that medical treatment approach to addiction is the one where it's theoretical diagnosis of mental health disorders treated with theoretical chemical approaches that affect your biology based on pretty loosely worded research about it being a brain disease. But yet the person goes and sits into a 30, 60, 120 day, two year, they go to Costa Rica for $50,000 a year rehab and they live in an environment that is not their own. takes a while to get mentally out of their internal environment, but that may happen. Maybe they make what uh, I was forced to write in a folder is, is called progress. Uh which is kind of uh, oxymoron, to find progress within a broken system. And then return from this not real environment to an environment of the same. The same structure, the same friends, the same group, the same place, the same routines. Well, you can go to meetings all you want to, but for me that's going to the same places, talking to the same people, about the same things it's not changing your people places things right the environment has not changed I, I think i went off on another podcast that i thought that you know if you're an orphan right if you're taken off into orphanages this should be like the holy grail of where a child goes but instead it's like oh you're an orphan i'm whew, fuck i'm sorry right probably more than likely some not right some not i get that but that idea right that I mean, if addiction was that, we, we dream of these. Okay, well, let's, let's create dream facilities, right? Where people go, this is still the, no, this is the wrong approach. It's not about the dream facilities. Now, granted, the non-Medicaid, Medicare treatment facilities that aren't held to a treatment approach because it's federal dollars coming in or state dollars coming in, mainly federal, but uh, they tend to have better results because they're not held within the limits of that standard approach that the old guard holds on to and guarantees. I mean, getting my degree, I did not even have a class through all of my degrees called NA or AA, but yet this was 90% the approach to this addiction epidemic. So people didn't watch. They saw the pills, so we controlled the pills. They changed inventory systems. Doctors went to jail. Uh, they cracked down on the Porsche uh, drug dealing doctors. It was good. That's fine. Crack all down on that. We haven't made, we haven't budged an inch. We haven't changed anything. More people are dying, more issues. So, this Florida approach to addiction and treatment and mental health, well, it's made people a lot of money. And people have gotten rich. Now, the government is not. The government's getting murdered. I mean, they're basically just getting robbed blind by everybody. And like fools, both parties stand up front after a massacre or some fucking issue of mental health and go, well, I've asked Congress to put $300 million toward mental health. Well, what the fuck are you doing? You're putting $300 million into a system that currently has managed to create more anxiety that is not limited depression and spread the use of painkillers for, uh, and opiates for other issues, and it fucked people up with so many different chemical approaches and biological approaches, completely ignoring the environmental landscape of their lives along the way, blindly ignoring the research of epigenetic defect, being able to uh, change or even withstand predispositions from emerging. Forget all that. Because there's no pill for the environment, right? And so many people, I mean, look... Uh, us as other end users where we use the system right I, I talk shit about the 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 system itself but this csi effect right that happens with jurors right people think they just get the blood test and change it and uh then we'll know right we'll be back in 10 minutes right it doesn't work that way so people get frustrated so it's the same idea with the magic pill the csi pill uh, effect with mental health right uh what's the pill for that give me that we just it must be a biological issue it must be a disease and We don't fight to change the environment. We don't look at that over time, which I think would cost less money. So we have to be careful when we vilify the pills themselves because people uh, do lose access to that Uh, and it becomes an issue. It really does uh, on so many levels. Uh, You know, even myself, I've said it like, again, I've said it myself and we have to for my, from my opinion, where we start is legalization of everything. Uh, let everyone out of jail. It's dealt with a, some sort of drug charge, if you will. It's nonviolent. Uh, not that I'm a fan of jails per se anyway, but I'm not moving that far ahead right now. Um, I would just say, pull that out, but, uh, and let's eliminate the idea of rehabs now some facilities are necessary when somebody needs to detox detox facilities are different uh detox facilities uh are imperative this is where people are trying to get off a chemical, uh, alcohol especially. What a lot of people don't know is that alcohol is one of the most dangerous ones uh, if it's something that you're using on a daily basis, you know, first thing in the morning and all day. Uh, withdrawing from that can kill you. It is very dangerous. Withdrawing from heroin, uh, opiates, these things can, can be terrible. They can feel bad, right? Like a terrible flu with terrible body aches, vomiting, can be issues, cause anxiety. Uh, it's a biological change that happens. Um, but again, we don't change the environment so these detox facilities these things uh i think need to be a little more apparent but what's done at these they can be done in seven or so days but after the detox they're pushed right into the 30 60 day routine of the meetings the three groups hanging out in not very good places these rehab facilities uh as i was taking out of context when i talked about um that's like the Ritz-Carlton. That's not what I meant. I meant patients there many times are treated like the Ritz-Carlton VIP, meaning they can switch therapists, they can switch rooms, they get what they want as long as they have insurance days. But if you don't have insurance days, uh, you don't get anything, right? Uh, so it's out of context. So the, the truth is Medicare, Medicare uh, Medicaid facilities, uh, terrible. Bed bug issues, fucking Merced, a lot of places. They're, they're fucking gross. And people come in and out of these and... The sad part, back to that family with their son or brother, whoever it is, it's sad because that's all they know. And when you really look at it, what do you do? It's about the environmental change. Showing support. Social connection is fucking huge. When we're connected to the wrong people, these are cliches that we hear growing up. But we're finding more and more in research are highly influential and impact. What we decide to do in our choices. Until we start looking away from the idea of a diseased foundation and approach to treatment, then we don't find a cure. Then it's just about maintaining symptomatic behaviors and symptoms. Well, that's what they did with cancer. And well, people live longer until they drain more of your bank account. We're not finding cures. So when it's looked at a cure for addiction, when we start saying cures for addiction, well, we need to begin with the environment. Now, the biology does have its effect, that quick transition that you can make biologically with detox centers, etc. cetera. Awareness can change, but sending people to the home has been a solution I've started with. I've started, like I said before, with decriminalizing, legalizing, opening up approaches, all which ways from sideways of how you can find treatment. And Well, what's the question? How do we pay for that, right? That's what most people say. Well, so much money is spent incarcerating people. We can turn this around. We take it out of the insurance company's hands for one on the medical side. To sum that up, you make it fee-for-service, turn it around, you pay somebody for what you do. But on the mental health side... You got to get into their environment. You got to get people home with them. Even let's say you send a team of two or three that help out a person and a family because addiction is not just the person. Remember, it's the environment around them, their interaction, their traumas, et cetera, and socially reconnecting. But Even if we have a team, which is expensive right? to have on on rounds, two or three different uh, coaches, counselors, social workers, Uh, there's different varieties that can help out in these types of situations, but pay them a good living wage because it's a time some job that really soaks up your life. But if we can do that, and it takes a year to readjust that, right? And we can fix someone, if we can really find a cure in that way by taking the environmental approach while having the biology covered at the basics in the beginning, well, that person doesn't come back to rehab for the rest of their lives, as NAAA suggests. Then it's not reciprocal. It doesn't, the recidivism goes down. If that goes down alone, The money saved is ridiculous. It's about changing it. So when politicians say they're for mental health, I question you. I question you, ma'am and sir. I question you of what you're doing it sounds good like jobs and mental health on your talking point and you put 300 million or obama put i think 300 billion toward it i don't even know what trump's dumbass is talking about but you put money toward this vague idea of mental health it's like putting money toward the vague idea of the war on terror and especially the war on fucking drugs this vague war we got to be careful doesn't switch to the war on opiates when it should be the war on the environment that's fucking up people's lives. Until we can approach that, we're chasing the symptom. We're chasing the symptom. I think I covered a lot of it. I mean, kratom is something I was going to talk about. It's another one of those solutions. Look up the idea of kratom and its effect on uh, addiction treatment. Look up psychedelics and its effectiveness on treatment for PTSD and veterans. Look up some of these treatments that are, are are they're coming up now, which is great. We're realizing that. But enough with the money toward the research. Sure, we need it. I get it. But meanwhile, people 175 or so die a day when they're mixing drugs, looking for answers. This doesn't combine how many are committing suicide. I think it's 20 plus, 25 something soldiers a day. But yet we want to study a drug further like marijuana and psychedelics and kratom that haven't killed anybody. But let's study them further when I'm sure they're in, if it saves their life. You know, if AA works, keep it. That's my point. Keep it all. Open that should be like orphanages are, where it's the end all, where we walk in and we find that. We cut down the recidivism. We cut down people that re- return and continue. we got to be careful what we vilify because what we vilify, even myself may have been caught up in it. When we vilify those things, the pills, right? Well, then it really keeps it focused on there must be a biological answer like another pill. And we have to free science even from that chemical incarceration idea. And find ways that we really start affecting change in our environments and helping people that way without limiting people as we make that change either. The crossover was about the social environment, its influence. Obviously, I've been talking about the epigenetic effect and the influence of in the environment on you. I mean, I, I am a, a a proponent of one that talks about reframing the environments, right? Reframing the past. This works. Don't get me wrong. You can reframe the moment, right? Even if you go down in the beliefs and you can change those things, look, you can sit in a jail and you can reframe that, uh, cell as many times as you want, but eventually it's going to set in that your environment is in fact in jail, right? And until we can acknowledge that, right? So, you know, I am not a denier, you know, that social influence and the language we use kind of reflects where we believe we are as it relates to our environment. You know, it's more and more powerful uh, at looking. The smallest adjustments to environments can really tweak an entire life. But a lot of times those small adjustments are really difficult to face or conquer. You know, people like to use the term, you know, I just have to find myself. Or I've lost myself. And I don't like that term. I always tell people to uh, go look in a mirror. There you are now that you found yourself what do we do right, it's about using yourself creating environment creating uh behaviors creating change and creating new experiences that can do it but this isn't about that it's more about being aware of how effective the environment can be i added a phrase to my environment my uh philosophy that you know uh, remember environments do give back and for me, that was a reference to my time in the addiction facilities where I would just muscle through it or i just meditate through it and be able to work through this corruption for the remainder of my career as I did that. Uh, well, I reframed as long as I could and, well, that holding back created a cognitive rampage, really, of having to talk about the uh, issues that are killing people in our modern day approach to the so-called opiate epidemic or the symptom of addiction depression and other mental health disorders but the environment again now don't get it twisted this is one of the safest times to be alive don't give me twisted i'm not uh i'm not that naive again right it's it's a great time to be alive actually globally as well So if you're even thinking globally, it's a safer time to be alive. But again, we're programmed to watch the fear. And so that's what they sell us, right? That's what they show on the news. I mean, we're watching it. We soak it up. This environment can be so influential. And I like to talk about that if you struggle with finding value in yourself already, or at a point where you're there, AKA don't love yourself, right? To say you love yourself is good, but I would also be rational to say that we argue, we have bouts with ourselves, right? To live in this constant, you know, uh, utopia of loving oneself. Well, then we can't critique ourselves. We can't grow or get better. That too would be overly positive if you will, and irrational. So it's not the idea about loving yourself. We have those bouts, but if you are at a point in your life to where things are intersecting to where you're struggling to find value or acceptance or connectivity uh i i often say and do believe and, and theorize or hypothesize that you are more effective to the environment um it is almost more potent to you because you're open looking for those connections right and if you imagine a a uh jellyfish or something, tentacles everywhere, right? All of those activating, looking for connection onto something. And when we feel ourselves drowning, if you will, or looking for a way out or lost, as you may describe yourself, uh, you can become very vulnerable to the environments around us. Thus, a lot of those people dealing with depression or dealing with these other symptomatic, um, dealing with these other symptoms, become very vulnerable in their environment around them the slightest thing changes in the environment you can have a um, irrational overreaction if you will if those environments uh, are are messed with and you know i talked about the genetic implication and how the environment can change that and it causes you to slow down when you're more aware of your environment it causes the thinking process to filter down and you can almost hear that Interview, you, right, talking and processing the environment, when you understand that you are impacted by it, then you're a little less laissez-faire about going, eh, I'll just keep that. Or, I'll just keep doing that. Or I'll just live there because, or I keep this job because I got to pay the bills, right? Even though it's killing me every day. We can't see that long-term, short-term pain idea, right? We get stuck in the supposed to. Environment's a big influence. It's so influential. I like to ask you to imagine maybe a time you can remember maybe your own kid has experienced this but i remember it as a kid doing it you know going to a school maybe a school you don't know anybody it's your first year there or something and you're in that lunch line and you're worried about where you're going to sit if you would imagine this kid he's worried about where he's going to sit and he's already kind of looking trying to play off that he's not looking that, you know how you got to go in one door in the lunch line and then you don't get to see anything. You go through the steam room, pick up uh, your extra milk and that fudge peanut butter brownie thing. Oh, I fucking love that shit. Pizza day, get the corn, you mix it. No I'm rambling, but then you all of a sudden are in visual, right? And then you just appear and it's just you in this doorway. I think it's probably one of the first stages <laughs> that a, uh, a kid ever walks on in their life. And they don't realize that it. is that that stage out of the, exit of the lunchroom but imagine that kid right who's nervous possibly to connect some aren't i get it i get it well my kid wouldn't do that he would he makes friends easily i get it i get it I get it. but this this kid you know is worried so what's the kid do as they're walking out the kid's looking for something to relate clothes maybe uh looking for a friendly gesture what happens maybe he gets a friendly gesture and he makes the turn to it and then he goes well it could be a joke maybe it's a setup right and as the kid does approach maybe the kids look like him maybe they don't maybe they talk like him maybe they don't the point is the kid finds safety there if the kids allow him to sit down they don't trick him right But if he's allowed to sit down and he hangs out, well, he's been rewarded with safety, with social acceptance. And in that, it's so powerful that that kid may well think that outfit he was wearing is now the coolest clothes he owns and may, well, wear that outfit all the time. So much can happen in one little interaction with an environment when we are susceptible to an acceptance of some environment on a social level and on a personal level. That acceptance was survival. Survival for elementary and middle school, high school. But it meant survival long before there were middle schools. Acceptance to a tribe. That social environment, that cultural environment, to deny these in pure science and the study of science as being somewhat related or influential in the idea of addiction or mental health. And to disregard that and focus solely on your neurological approach and your pill treatment as forms of being the end-all to be-all, well then, well, I subjectively think you're wrong. I hope you're right. Maybe it is that easy. I really do. But the social impact needs to be focused on. The environments need to be accounted for. Especially in today's time, right? when God, if if I see another fucking blogger or podcaster that puts out a post about their daily fucking routine as if I'm supposed to then copy your daily routine as if it is a one size fits all or some shit. I get it. I, I appreciate some works. Take what works for you. Leave the rest, right? People are putting it out there. That's good. Well, I think really cultivating cultivating those experiences on your own is a little more beneficial. Uh, biohacking yourself, not just being told what to do, but um, but with so much influence about what Your life is supposed to be or be like, or what, or who you want to be like, or should want to look like, or what routine you should be doing, or how much time you put toward this or that. Everything is just pushed. And then again, with what I referenced earlier about the performance based society where we link our performance of things to the value of ourselves, right? Some social construct level then breaks down the human psyche to believe itself to be true about it being worthless. And well, all in what? A pursuit a pursuit for something, a pursuit for a, a checklist, an experience, you say, something someone's told you. I mean, look, I, I still have my bucket list right on my phone that I made a long time ago, And even though I did a show about throw out your list, right? Fuck the list. But I look at it from time to time, and I thought, man, money not be an option. i check off this fucking bucket list in four months or so, right, if you really put it down. And, and then what? Then what do you do, right? There's more trips. There's another bucket list. There's something else. We continually pursue that achievement, that optimization, right? I mean, uh, when I wrote this book, I wrote this book for truly those that felt themselves to be at rock bottom looking for a change and just so happened to be, yeah, if you just like opening cool ideas about your life and being introspective and analyzing and working through maps and doing behavioral changes, if you like investigating, hey, it happens to breed some optimization at the same time. But this book came for those that were really looking to make that total change, right? That complete change. Now, at the end of that, you can use that overanalyzation to get up, to change, to make massive shifts in your world. But as you do, you have to learn to be able to pull that throttle back, to ease it back. Because you're not going to learn all there is to know. There's always more. You know, we we become addicted to knowledge. We become addicted to experience seeking. We become addicted to that. And we, we, well, it's easy to become ungrateful for the present, for what is, to be modest. Looked up the definition of modest, and it led me to humility. And then humility led me to the act of being modest, (laughs) sort of a circle, if you will. I posted a video that Guy talked about the Einstein theory of happiness and the story goes that the bellman was there and Einstein did not have cash for a tip. Hmm. Instead he grabbed a sheet of paper and he wrote the theory of happiness on it and handed it to him and walked away. It was about a uh, modest, the key to happiness is living a modest and humble life. And I'm sure uh, you can look that up to get the perfect story, but Turned out that sheet of paper that was written and given to the person, I think, turned around and sold for, I think it was like $1.3 million. So it ended up being a pretty good tip that somebody had written down. And that's just the financial value. And truly, Einstein's theory of happiness is worth looking at. And I studied it, and I kind of was like, man, the modest life, right? This is another subjective notion that we could tackle with Stuart Chase's, right? The tyranny of words of what that modest idea means that leads to happiness. Then I started putting two and two together, you know, about a modest life. And then the environment, the environmental impact and social connection, started looking at my own life about the environment I was in. Was I creating a plan that I'll suffer through for a little while that then will get me to a place under some arrogant flag that I know I'm going to live that long? And I would argue that, well, if I think time is my most valuable possession, then, well, I'm sure, not using that time wisely. If I say, well, in five years, then I'll be in 10 years, then I'll be doing that. Then I will be in the environment that then sustains my life. This became the irrational issue that I fucking had. <laughs> if the main objective for us here, generally speaking, is to live longer, healthier quality of life, if that is the objective I mean, stay alive, right? Keep your kids alive, right? If that is the objective, where do we rationalize the idea of suffering under something in some environment that does not make us happy, knowing it does a physiological destruction, a mental destruction, spiritual destruction for many too, when we know it does these destructions? What good? And if we know, if I asked you randomly on a, a calm day, hey, do you think time is a valuable resource? Yeah, it's the most valuable resource. You know it. But yet the philosophy we live, right? Where do we find the rationalization to say then I'm going to sacrifice these multiple years to live this life then? Good planning, the inevitable, right? That's just how it is. Now, the issue comes is then you're sold through bloggers and websites and everything else, right, and videos you watch, right, to achieve, right, to optimize, to live life like it's your first day or your last day is worse advice, right, but to go out there and keep achieving and experience and move and go and go and go, and then you're pushed and we have a rise of anxiety, we're driving all the way, and look what I achieved, we're filling up in some manner our ego balloon as we float across our performances, defining ourselves, declaring value. And for some it works, for some it doesn't, right? I don't want to try to pinhole, right, this idea, but I'm questioning my own life of that idea and the key to this being the happiness, if you will, the modest lifestyle, right, the modest environment and mixing those two. So I thought about what environment, if that's the objective, what environment is good for me, right, that's nature, that's it's healing me, helping me, what's active, keeping me moving. What do I like to be around, right? Where do I connect with And why am I not in that environment if the main goal really is to sustain life longer? How long is the sacrifice worth in the end, especially if we don't know when our most valuable resource runs out? So for me, I'm not up here telling you if you're living in that shitty environment or if you've made that deal with the devil that, hey, it's what I have to do. I got kids. I get it. Life is there. You got bills, mortgages, shit, right? I get it. So that's why I've kind of argued with these people that have told you, hey, follow your dreams, fucking sell everything and go live and chase your dreams because you could die tomorrow. Okay, bro. Easy, homie. Easy. I'm not declaring that. But what I am asking you is to entertain the environment that which you do live in, that you operate this job in, and the one that you may keep saying that I'll get to one day and when I get there, once I'm there, then I will live this way. What would be the most modest environment and daily activity for you to be in that is the healthy environment for you at the same time that doesn't require a sacrifice of time to get to that lifestyle? you'll find that what you end up having to question is what you call your standard of living or your quality of life. Many other subjective notions I could hear George Carlin tearing those apart now is when you begin to ask, well, what's my standard of life? What's my standard of living? Do I like this size home? Do I like these uh, luxuries? I like to enjoy this. If these are the things I like, well, then the income is based on this. This is where our judgment becomes. But is that the modest or is that something we've been sold back to the constructs, back to the environmental influence, the cultural fitting in? Where does that stop? And again, if you continue to question and question, this is where you will find yourself is full throttle in the red, wondering how you find some peace in quiet. And for me, that transition is coming. I've actively began to seek to get myself to that modest environment. In place as quickly as I possibly can, which is partly some of those changes that are coming next year. I hope you're taking care of you. hope you're living your cognitive rampage. If you hear about the opiate epidemic, just engage with somebody and say, hey, let's talk. It's not about vilifying the pills or those that use it. Lay out some of the facts I talked about today, about the ideas of diseases. Lay out the notion that truly about 75 to 85% of people, quoting Dr. Carl Hart here, you know, the guy at Columbia that trains the psychiatrists that give the pills. Most people that use methamphetamine or other drugs live their lives just fine, they modulate their mood somewhat subjective to others of what that healthy means. But they're you and me that operate every day. Ridiculed by those by calling self-medication, even though we all modulate our mood in some way, some fashion. There's no holier than now when it comes to the AKA, yeah, but they self-medicate. When really 10 to 15% are those that are truly affected, those are the people you see on intervention. Those are the people that you may know linked to your family or you may be, may have been defined as, that you are not. We can't vilify the people. We can't vilify the drugs. We have to look at the process to which we can help people, and look beyond the chemical approaches and so-called scientific approaches. Although I'm a fan, we need the research. We have to expand and look more toward the social environments and impacts of not being socially connected, of the environmental influences, all the way down. Addiction is a symptom, not a disease. Love you.